Hello, I'm Ray Reich, founder and CEO of RevOps Squared, and your host of the Metrics That Measure Up podcast. We talk to a wide variety of B2B SaaS and cloud thought leaders, executives, investors, and people just like you to discuss the metrics and benchmarks they use to make metrics-informed decisions. Now on to today's show. Welcome to today's episode of the Metrics at Measure at Podcast. Today, we are joined by Bijan Merlimi, founder and CEO of Mosaic.tech, and formerly the Senior Vice President of Finance at Palantir Technologies. Today, we will be covering three main topic areas. First, finance, the opportunities and challenges in a hyper-growth B2B cloud company. Second, strategic finance. Is it more than a phrase? And third, metrics and benchmarks. Are they a strategic asset or just a tactical reality for a strategic finance group? Bish, please take a moment to give a brief background overview of your journey to becoming a guest on the Metrics Measure Up podcast. Definitely. Well, first off, Ray, thanks so much for having me on the podcast today. A little bit about myself. Started my career in corporate FP&A down here in San Diego at Qualcomm. After two years, made the jump to Palantir. Palantir at the time was roughly 100 people. Finance team was very nascent and really fortunate to go on an amazing journey there over the course of six years. Met my future co-founders, Joe and Brian, and really at Palantir, we're responsible for building and leading the finance function. And so along that journey, we're dealing with the company and in, in hyper growth. I think we were more than 2,500 folks by the time we left and really had to solve a lot of the modern day challenges that a finance team are facing. And along that journey to solve those problems, to really be a, an asset to the business, ultimately had to, to build a lot of internal tools to solve those challenges. We tried every off-the-shelf tool that you can imagine, really struggled to keep pace with the growth of the business. And that was kind of the Palantir journey. Post-Palantir, me as well as my, my future co-founders went on to be finance leaders. I was uh, the CFO at Piazza high growth B2B SaaS company, as were Joe and Brian. And very quickly, I think, realized that a lot of the problems that we were encountering at Palantir, we found that they were actually more ubiquitous. It wasn't Palantir specific. In fact, many high growth companies were facing the, the same challenges that we saw. And so after, again, kind of automating our way out of a job by building internal tools to solve these problems at our respective companies, wanted to take things a step further and start Mosaic. And so that's really our journey, having built and led finance teams over the last decade, really pushed the, the boundaries of what these underlying systems are capable of. Well, that's an incredible history. And most of our loyal listeners are huge historians of the cloud and the B2B SaaS industry. And I could spend an hour with you just talking about your experience at Palantir because both the founder of Palantir and the journey was so unique. But on the Metrics and Measure Up podcast, we want to talk about how companies are using metrics and benchmarks to really scale their business. So let's start with this, Beige. And that is, you've been right in the middle of a hyper-growth enterprise cloud company. What were their top two to three challenges that you faced in managing the financial function in such a high growth environment? And if you want to, you might say, hey, at this stage, it was that, but at a later stage, it was this. But what were those top two to three challenges? Yeah. So when we joined at Palantir, the company was 100-ish folks. I think we just raised the $2 billion and we're this multi-global company, I think had 
10 or so subsidiaries still on QuickBooks at the time, which is crazy because as I'm sure your listeners know here, QuickBooks doesn't support multiple currencies. So off the bat, there was a lot of work that we had to do to kind of build that strong foundation to be able to answer even kind of the most simple questions about the business. And I'd say that the biggest challenge over the course of our our journey at Palantir it was really keeping pace and even trying to get ahead of the needs of the business. I think what we quickly realized is you can't do kind of the, the value add things like analysis, synthesis, really trying to make a big impact on the business if you don't have some of those fundamentals in place, the systems, the data, the ontology. And so for us, dealing with a company in hyper growth that was growing horizontally, vertically into different geographies, business lines every few months, really trying to keep pace and ultimately get ahead of the business, I'd say was the biggest challenge that we faced. Well, that's interesting. So it sounds like with your infrastructure and your resources, it was hard just to keep up. And one of the things that I talk about is turning the insights from your financial reports and performance metrics into foresights about strategically how do we need to change the business? How do we make it more operationally efficient? So tell me a little bit about kind of when did you kind of decide we need to basically transform from a reactive tactical finance organization to a forward-looking strategic finance organization? Was there a, a catalytic moment? Yeah, no, there there definitely was, right? And early on for us, because we we didn't have the infrastructure in place, we were getting peppered with questions that were very fair questions that, that we couldn't necessarily answer. How much money do our customers owe us? How long have these invoices been outstanding? And, and so once we were able to answer kind of some of those more simple questions, you've got the business that's growing and the sophistication of questions will naturally grow. And if you're constantly taking hours, days, sometimes longer to answer the questions of the business, by the time you come back with an answer, they've already moved on. And so I think for us, very quickly, we realized we had to do our way, our work in a way that was scalable and automated so that we could actually react at the speed at which the business needed us to. Yeah. And I see one of the first approaches a lot of hypergrowth organizations will take when they're facing these challenges is they expand the FPNA group to do more of their strategic planning and some level of data analysis, and or they bring in a finance operations or create a business operations group that look at a lot of the input variables that go into the output performance, i.e. those key SaaS performance metrics. Yep. Did you go through that of trying to have an FP&A group grow larger or build a business ops group to take over some of that strategic activity? Yeah, we absolutely did. So the, the team that Joe Bryan and I led at Palantir was called FinOps, short for financial operations. And I, I think what really actually paid big dividends for us in the long run is we were responsible for all those biz ops and FPNA related functions, but the team was also responsible for the underlying systems as well and the workflow. So think FPNA, budgeting, forecasting, all the metrics that, that you preach to, to your listeners, but then also owning the underlying systems, responsible for setting up NetSuite, responsible for managing Salesforce doing the actual operations of AP, AR. And what really helped us is you own the systems, you own the data, you own the definitions and the ontology. It makes it a lot easier to do 
some of the more sexy analysis, forecasting and planning. And so I'd say maybe a little unique in kind of the, the way that we set up the team, but having all these functions under the same roof definitely allowed us to, to scale and ultimately build a team that was quite nimble and lean to support a, a very large business over time. We're going to actually take this discussion in two different directions, but I think first I'm going to go into the cross-functional partnerships you need to have because your finance operations group isn't a island in of itself. It works with your revenue operations, your go-to-market teams. And in fact, in the latest research I've done, over 50% of the data that goes into creating a lot of the traditional B2B SaaS metrics, things like CAC payback period or even net dollar and gross dollar retention, don't resist in finance, they exist in the go-to-market team, CRM, or customer success platform, or marketing automation platform. How did you actually broker the technology and data integration between financial operations and your go-to-market revenue operations teams? Yeah. So I'll answer this two ways. I think at Palantir, it was a little unique where these functions didn't exist. And our definition of finance at Palantir actually really encapsulated a lot of these functions, RevOps, BizOps, et cetera, because we were the ones doing the work. I think at more traditional companies, you raise a really interesting point, right? And when I think about the roles and responsibilities of a CFO today, what's happened over the last 10 or 15 years is the concept of an ERP where all your different data and workflows live has been unbundled. And so now you've got these best of breed systems, CRMs, marketing automation platforms, billing systems, payroll systems. And you as a CFO, you don't have the luxury of saying, hey, I'm only going to look at data coming out of my ERP system. You wouldn't be a very good CFO if you're doing that. So inherently, now the, the calculus has changed and you need to really own the data or at least have a deep understanding of the data from these different systems to get a complete and full picture of your business. So I, I would say that the scope and purview of the CFO has changed fairly significantly over the last 10 or 15 years as we've moved to the cloud. Let's talk about that a little bit more because I read a recent article that I believe you penned about building the strategic finance function. And a lot of times I think people have a misconception that finance is about accounting and the controller and financial reporting versus strategic business decisions and quite frankly, prioritization of where you invest the money you just raised from a VC. So tell me a little bit about what a strategic finance function looks like and how is it different than your traditional finance function? Yeah, great question there. And I think you're right. If you think about the role, right, the role has changed and the toolkit to do this work hasn't. For the most part, CFOs are, are still in Google Sheets and Excel. And finance is sometimes seen as maybe the anchor off the back of the boat because they're doing their work in a way that does not scale and doesn't actually get the business the information that they need on a timely basis. And so when I think about what does it take to build a strategic finance function, what that means to me or really to us at Mosaic is you're able to get the right data to the right people across the organization, do it on a timely, proactive basis, and also do it in a way that's digestible to them. And that might seem like a really easy thing. I just kind of threw out a quick phrase there. But if you think about all the different systems, all the different constituents who are responsible for different data sets and metrics, that is actually a very tough problem. And it's actually a technical problem. And so I think inherently what's happened here over the last 10 or 15 years in the space is 
the role of the CFO has become more technical and the toolkit in our arsenal to solve these technical problems hasn't really kept up. And so that's where you see most finance teams struggle to be strategic because they're always reactive to the business and not able to get the right data at the speed at which the business actually needs to make a strategic impact. Yeah, I'm going to double click on that one also, because I just conducted some recent research and it was about 400 B2B SaaS and cloud companies at multiple stages of maturity. And we asked, where do you actually calculate and then share your B2B SaaS metrics that the board's looking for? Things like whether it's rule of 40 or net dollar retention or CAC payback period or customer lifetime value to CAC ratio. And 52% of the participating companies said it was either an Excel or Google Sheets. And I've lived in those worlds. And number one, people were always questioning the integrity of those KPIs and metrics because the source data came from multiple systems. So do you see almost those metrics and being able to analyze how your efficiency and effectiveness is playing out as the job, as the CFO, and not just the marketing or sales or customer success leader? Yeah, absolutely. Right. I mean, as a CFO, I think to truly be strategic, you have to go deep, you have to go wide, you need to have an understanding and mastery over all data and all systems, anything that's a number you have to know in and out. And so I I definitely agree with that. I think if you're looking at kind of siloed aspects of data, I'm only going to look at sales metrics in a vacuum or marketing metrics in a vacuum, but not tie on the cost impact to start to look at CAC, et cetera, you're missing kind of the the bigger picture here. So I I do see finance as the team that actually is responsible for bringing together these different silos of systems or people and really weaving that entire bigger picture of the company together. Yeah, I think I read somewhere else about the CFO in a strategic finance function needs to be a great storyteller. And what that meant was don't just show the reports and the data, but what's the data telling you and what your recommendations are of how to improve performance. So do you agree that that storytelling is a critical function of the finance and the CFO role today? Yeah, I I couldn't agree more there. And there's actually a couple things that I want to say, right? And if you're doing your work in kind of a traditional fashion in Excel, anytime that a request gets lobbed over to the finance team, maybe I'm trying to look at some of my typical SaaS metrics mid-month. If that's in Google Sheets or Excel and that data is coming from multiple systems, I'm spending 80% of my day pulling data down from various systems, cleaning it, mapping it, updating my Google Sheets analysis, hard-coding numbers, And there isn't any time left in the day to take a step back and really understand the story that the data is telling. And so I I couldn't agree more there. I think we saw this ourselves firsthand at Palantir. There, There were times where we built these amazing analyses, amazing models. And if you don't actually have the synthesis or really what is it saying, or it's kind of not legible to the business then it doesn't matter how much you love your model or or how much work you put into it, you're not actually making an impact on the business. So I couldn't agree more. I think the, the storytelling, the synthesis is at the top of the value chain pyramid. Typically, most teams don't get there because they're so bogged down doing work in non-scalable ways. 
you said something and it really triggered a thought for me. And it's, I see it 90% plus of the time. And that's kind of in period analysis of what the data is telling you. So often I work with CEOs and CFOs, the quarter ends, they're putting together all their SaaS metrics and financial reports. It often takes anywhere from 10 to 20 days on average. And now they have some insight into, let's say it's their CAC ratio or their net dollar retention. And they're like, oh, wow, it's a lot worse than we thought. We better make some decisions. But that quarter started a month ago. We already had our plans and our goals in place, and it's too late. So are you saying with today's technology and automation, we can do in-period analysis of some of our performance metrics and actually do course correction before the accounting period even ends? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's the problem that we're trying to solve with Mosaic. And look, if you're reading last month's newspaper, no one wants that, right? You want to know what's going to happen. You want to be the headlights knowing where the car is heading before it veers off track. And so the, the way that you're strategic, the way that you're building a strategic finance function is by having this data live, accessible to anyone across the business that needs to see it, without having to spend hours and hours to handle each request that comes in. Let's dive into that a little bit deeper because you mentioned early at Palantir, you were growing through horizontal expansion, vertical expansion, new products, new target markets, et cetera. And often what I see organizations doing is they're looking at their current SaaS performance metrics. Once again, I'll use CAC ratio. And let's say they're at $1.80 of a CAC ratio to acquire new customers. But now they went into Europe for the first time. And their overall CAC ratio for new customer acquisition goes up to $2.01. And the CEO and CFO freak out. It's like, oh my God, what's going on with our customers? customer acquisition efficacy, and they're not doing cohort-based analysis. Do you find most of the financial platforms and even SaaS metrics tools out there today allow you to do real-time kind of cohort analysis and make decisions at a very granular level versus at a global level? I don't. I don't. And I think, again, one of the issues that, that we see, which really spurred us to start Mosaic, is these tools are point solutions. And to get a holistic understanding of your business or even a complex metric like CAC and to build it from the ground up, you really need to be connected into three, four different systems. I'd want to hook into the ERP system. I'd want to pull in very granular payroll data. So I'm hooked into my HRIS system. And then I'm going to want to pull in other data from my CRM, potentially my billing system and my marketing platform. So uh, if, if you're looking for a tool that's only giving you data coming out of one system, you're going to have a very rudimentary top-down calculation that's not going to give you the level of visibility or, or foresight that you need as you're thinking about the future growth of your business. Let me ask another question because I'm seeing product-led growth as a new go-to-market model. It's really changing the, the split between revenue or ARR from new name customers versus expansion. And you're seeing it go from maybe 70% new name customer, 30% expansion to 50, 50 or even greater sometimes. And this is changing the metrics and some of the muscle memory required throughout the organization. So here's my question. Do you find that most organizations can even look at their sales and marketing and customer success spend? How much of it's being allocated to new customer growth versus existing customer expansion versus customer retention? And doesn't that fundamentally provide false information if you're trying to make metrics informed decisions? Yeah. So I think what we see in, in our sweet spot right now, we focus on companies anywhere from the seed to series EF stage. So probably up to a, a thousand people. This is a very tough problem to solve. And I'd say even some of our more sophisticated customers are coming to us because they are having challenges 
pulling this data and doing some of that analysis that you mentioned. So again, I, I think what you're seeing here is a large gap between the skill set required to do a lot of the work and the tools available to, to solve these problems. And so these are very difficult, but existential questions that have to be solved here to really drive the business forward. Yeah. One of the questions I have is if you look at a lot of the larger financial management platform companies, it used to be ERPs, but you've got the others. I'm not going to name any names. Why do you think after 20 years of this cloud and recurring revenue industry that the financial management platforms aren't able to do this, Bish? So I think, look, this is not an easy problem to solve. And what I would say is a lot of these legacy players have been around since the early 2000s. And the biggest problem and inertia that these folks had to overcome in the early 2000s was, I need my customers to be in the cloud. Everyone was on-prem at the time. And so this day and age, 2010 onwards, I think what you started to see is the unbundling of the ERP, these point-based solutions, open APIs, and when you've been building a product for 5, 10, 15 years to re-architect it from the bottom up and kind of solve these new pain points is a very, very tough thing to do. So it feels like now is the right time for kind of the next wave of financial tools to exist. And, and I think now is the time because APIs, open APIs are mature. You kind of have these modularized tools. And now it's really just about understanding data structures, stitching them together in a way that makes sense. But very, very tough, I think, for companies that have been around for a decade or more to try to re-architect their entire back end to something that's very different than, than what they've been doing. Makes total sense. And one of the last things I'd like to talk to you about today is the power of making metrics-informed decisions. And everything we've been talking about today is how do you collect all the input variables from all your different data source systems to have more strategic insight and turn that into foresight for financial decision-making? However, what we haven't talked about is, is it important from your perspective to benchmark your internal performance metrics against similar companies, or is it just too hard to do if you're moving and growing fast? So it, it is hard to do. And I'm really impressed and motivated by the work that you're personally doing with RevOps Squared. I think until recently, it's been really tough for finance revenue professionals to get a sense of how they stack up. I know even in the Palantir days or Piazza days, sometimes as a finance professional, you feel like you're all alone on an island. And having data readily accessible, understanding best practices, knowing how you stack up against others is super helpful. It's motivating. But I think until recently, it has been a challenge. These communities haven't haven't yet existed in the past. So it is very important and love the, the work that you're doing because this is absolutely a need here that, that I've seen firsthand over the last decade. Yeah, well, thank you for saying that, but it wasn't supposed to be a softball to promote what RevOps Squared is doing. It's a, it's a serious question. And, you know, you've led finance. Now you're talking to hundreds of strategic finance leaders on a monthly and quarterly basis. One of the biggest challenges I've seen at executive meetings is everyone comes in with their own data. You have the head of marketing coming in with their dashboards reports, the head of sales, the head of customer success, then finance has their own. So, how do you recommend to a earlier stage CFO, let's say it's less than 20 million ARR, how to ensure that they're using one 
version of the truth from a data perspective to make sure that everyone's making decisions from the same? Do you think that needs to be in a data warehouse? Where is it? How do you make sure all that data to make decisions is in one central location and people are using the same data to make those strategic decisions? Yeah, yeah. So I I think in general, the word single source of truth is overused, but it is really important. And whether you're using a data warehouse, a a tool like a Mosaic or or some of the others out there, it is really important. I, I think to your point, you've got different folks responsible for different systems. And if you go into a meeting and you're spending 80% of your time trying to align on the definition or what the numbers mean, you are not being strategic. You are not driving the business forward at all. And so from my perspective, from what I've seen, I think the sooner that you can kind of get the data into one spot, centrally manage it, align on definitions and ontologies... Well, it might be premature for a very early Series A stage company, the sooner you build that foundation, it's going to pay exponential dividends down the line. Great. Well, we're going to have to wrap up with talking about metrics and benchmarks and financial management. But is there anything I didn't ask you that you'd like to share with the audience, Bish? Yeah, I think we touched on most things. I mean, to your point, the last point that you made around having a source of truth, one of the things that that we always believed in at Palantir is this concept of digital exhaust. And that's where you've structured your systems in a way to where the systems of records do the heavy lifting for you. And it's spitting out data in a clean, digestible way for the business to understand. So again, a huge proponent of this and really believe that whether you're in RevOps, marketing ops, FinOps, you are doing really, really important work for the business. So keep doing the good work. Okay, well, let's let the audience get to know you a little bit more on a personal basis through three questions. And the first is, is there a company or CEO that you think is a must follow today? Must follow today. Personally, I like Elon Musk. I think he's an interesting guy. I don't necessarily agree with everything that he's doing, but I think just super, super driven, motivated guy. And uh, in general, while I don't agree with everything that he believes in, I, I think he is doing some really positive things for the world. Yeah, I find it interesting. Actually, when I asked you the question, I actually wrote down, believe it or not, Elon Musk before you said it. The reason I I wrote it down was, number one, everyone in the Valley right now is kind of watching what Elon does. And he came out a couple of days ago with kind of an announcement regarding AI-based robotics. And this is the same guy who five years ago was basically telling Mark Andreessen via Twitter that AI was the most dangerous technology that he's ever seen introduced. Interesting guy for sure. Okay, second question. What tool do you recommend every B2B SaaS or cloud company use, not your own? So one of the tools that I'm really impressed with lately is SaaS Optics. I think just the the way that they've structured everything when it comes to actually doing reporting analysis and forecasting off of that data, they've done a really good job there. So I would say if you're struggling with the billing system, maybe you're using your ERP or struggling with some of the other players, give SaaS Optics a try. Well, thank you for mentioning SaaS Optics because I recently hosted Clayton Whitfield, who's a co-founder of SaaS Optics on this podcast. I would also recommend our listening audience, if you haven't had a chance, definitely give a listen to Clayton. He's got great insight. Then the last question for you, Bish, is, and my daughter just graduated college, so it's pretty topical for me. If you were to give advice to a recent college graduate who wants to be a CFO 
in the B2B SaaS or cloud industry, what advice would you give them today of what they should be doing to be able to attain that goal? Yeah, I would give two pieces of advice. Number one, I would say is you probably are going to want a blend of early stage experience and also working at a larger company to see how things are done at scale. I'm not sure if the order of operations matters. Although I think the learning curve working at an early stage startup, a month is going to feel like a year, which is a really good feeling and, and you're going to be growing a lot. The second I would say is I really do believe that in this day and age, the finance function has become technical. So invest in learning SQL, potentially even a language like Python. I, I really do feel like I, I personally call those folks finance unicorns that no accounting, no FP&A can understand data and make sense of it, but also actually do a lot of the technical work that's required. You have that skill set. You're going to be pretty much unstoppable. Well, it's interesting that you said that because my youngest son is just evaluating college and he loves data science and computer science, machine learning, AI. And his goal is say, how can I apply that into either a financial role or kind of being an economics guru? So it's funny that you said that. I think it's really going to change the way we approach finance over the next 10 to 20 years. Hey, Bish, thank you so much for being a guest on the Metrics That Measure Up podcast. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it, Ray. And to our listening audience, if you're enjoying our guests and the topics that we discuss, it would mean the world to us to go ahead and subscribe to the Metrics of Major podcast on your favorite podcast app and give us a ranking and provide your recommendations on how we can make the show even better. Thank you, everyone, for listening to today's episode of the Metrics of Major Up podcast. Thank you for listening to today's Metrics of Major Up podcast. If you would like to learn more about B2B SaaS metrics and benchmarks, please visit RevOpsquared.com.